Hello and welcome to our podcast, In Diverse Conversations. At In Diverse Company, we help organisations to create inclusive cultures that are not just good for business, but good for people too. We've been fortunate enough to meet some fantastic influencers in this space that really brings to life why inclusion is important, not just from a work perspective, but also the effects of change in the wider society. We'll be covering topics such as mental well-being, social mobility, men's mental health, neurodiversity and everything in between. Our podcast series is a chance for our listeners to be able to share some fantastic stories as well as taking away some key insights that can be put into practice. We hope you find this valuable. Hi, today I'm joined by Ali Owen, the CEO and founder of Brixton Finishing School. Um, Ali, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience, please? Well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm Ali Owen. I founded Brixton Finishing School in 2018 after quite a long advertising career across the world. One day I woke up to the fact that it wasn't a very diverse industry and decided to disrupt it with a new way of finding and recruiting talent. Perfect. And now we're here. So... How are you doing today? How would you... What's your mental score? I'm going to go for a solid 6.5. Solid 6.5. Because I had a really late night last night. Okay. Let's warm things up with a bit of a quick fire round. I'll ask you either or, and yeah. then you'll tell me which one you are most drawn to. So, sunrise or sunset? Sunrise every time. <laughs> and when you're walking or exercising, music or podcasts? I'm going to go for music. Yeah? Yeah. I what get... type? Anything, I, get, I have a really busy brain at the best mm. of times and exercise, particularly weightlifting, is my meditation. Yeah. So anything that doesn't require much effort. Yeah. 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 Cool. Urban or rural? Can I do both? Because I love the city. Yeah. I also love being in a field somewhere, like pretending I'm a hippie. <laughs> yeah. Which is your go-to if you need to chill? Rural. Right. Yeah, not that I ever get out there. We don't have a car. Yeah. But in my head, I imagine that's where people <laughs> go and relax. Cool. Okay, so, Ali, let's kind of get down to the yeah. nitty-gritty. You founded Bricks and Finishing School with your own blood, sweat, tears <laughs> and determination, as I well know. <laughs> How did you get the brands that you have got on board to kind of work alongside you? Because it's, it's, it's no easy kind of threat. And you, you've got kind of... In terms of the brands that you're working with, we've got the likes of RGNA, which is obviously um, they've just won Agency of the Decade according to Campaign, and then Adam and Eve DDB as well. So, yeah. how did you? What's the connections there? How did you get them on board? I, I suppose I was really lucky in the sense I've spent no over 25 years in the industry and I built up really strong relationships. Yeah, and also it's, we're not the world's biggest industry, mm. so people can tap. People know if you're investable in or not. Yeah. Whether you let people down. And I used to trade media space for years and I prided myself on doing the best by both sides if Mm. I could. Mm. Also, the fact that I'd founded the school on a credit card and people Mm. kind of knew it was my house writing on it, Mm. that generally makes people realise that this isn't a game. Yeah. I think as well, there was a real genuine desire for somebody to come up with a solution. Yeah. And actually, I'd already kind of proven I could launch stuff. And I wasn't asking for the earth. I was asking for pretty much seed investment in that first Mm. year. So people came on board. Um, So we had Adam and Eve, who's Agency of the Decade, Mm -hmm. RGA, a digital agency of the decade. But the first people to sign were McCann. And I turned up 
December 2018 mm. with just a logo at that point and an idea. And they decided to give me the £5,000. And that mm. was enough for me to realise that this had to become a reality. Yeah. And then Clear Channel, who are one of our most ardent supporters, were next to sign. Yeah. And then there was kind of Kinetic... Uh, prime site signed and there was like Visium as well invested so there was quite a lot and pretty green in that first year and, but now we've probably doubled so some big boys season. getting on board very quickly yeah, and yeah. It, was, it was people that I'd worked with or people that really identified with the course mm. so it was either you were buying me or you were buying the fact we needed change and luckily for us the first year was the most intense journey I've ever had in my life where I've learnt more but we got across the line and our students had 95% um, success in being placed mm. and we were able to show that we could find talent, place it, and that talent could thrive where it, where it kind of kind of uh, rested. Yeah. Which was actually a kind of groundbreaking thing because I'm sure as we'll go on to it, our industry has a, used to have a very narrow concept mm. of what an advertising or technology or media person looked like. Yeah. Why do you think the creative industries have potentially struggled with solving the problems around social mobility and the perceptions that we have within, particularly, I mean, both you and I are from media sales. And as you said, there's a a typical expectation of background type of person, Mm. um, personality traits. Why do you think the creative industries have really struggled to kind of break that mould? I would say the first thing is, when when did they realise it was a challenge or an issue? Because I do think actually acknowledging you have it, I mean, I think it's only in the last 12 to 24 months that it's become maybe a more acceptable view that every stakeholder has to be at the table. Mm. And I'm not calling out the whole industry, but we certainly seem to be okay with completely one-sided representation for so long <laughs> that clearly we probably didn't think it was an issue. A couple of things. Number one, there was a need to have a degree. Mm-hmm. It was kind of that thing that if you were from a kind of higher social echelon you did if you didn't do the city. Mm. If you are going to go into the creative side, you have to go to ad schools, it's expensive, and you have to do internships. We also have a terrible habit of relying on referrals, yeah, which I call the ever-decreasing diversity maelstrom, because if you just rely on the people you've got and those people aren't diverse, the 10 people they probably know are going to be most like them, and you're just looking at diminishing returns every time you do it. Mm. But it's a cheap and easy fix. And then there's that cultural fit argument where if everybody plays golf or rugby... Um, or skis. Or, that was it. Do you ski? <laughs> no, I don't. What school did you go to? Uh, I went to a comprehensive on the south coast. I, oh, really? Oh, oh. So how do you... Why is it important that we challenge that, these, these issues? Yeah. Why? From a money-making point of view, I think mm-hmm. we're all on side or putting up with if we don't necessarily agree with the fact that diverse teams produce more money mm-hmm. from a creative and kind of quality work point of view which I get really pissed off about if I can swear you can't do good creative work if you're imagining somebody else's lived experience and haven't actually listened to it or included it within your story making mm. and there's some brilliant examples of what I call crap ad or ads that should never have left the house with their skirt tucked in the knickers mm. I mean like how did that actually get out into the world mm. Pepsi Kendall Jenner is the one people always go why on earth would you take Black Lives Matter? I mean, I, I think there's so many, and obviously the, the Henny's one, which I'm not going to mention, mm. in case people, you know, there's Heineken have done some great work and terrible work. Lighter mm. is better ad, which again, you're like, I mean, if anybody wants to, please, 
please Google these things and prepare to be shocked. <laughs> but it was know, a really an interesting point that we made one time when we were catching up about, yeah. you said to me that you was in a uh, creative meeting with someone who's probably like late 20s and he yeah. said, I, we don't need to be diverse because I can imagine every yeah. situation. That was it when he was telling me he could imagine what it was like to be over, a, you know, a woman over 40. Because yeah. one of my favourite go-tos for me is planter, is it planter shampoo? Yeah where they had to kind of helicopter in Marietta Frostrop to, to save this brand. So we were kind of TV ad, women in shower, talking about this caffeine shampoo. So the male version of this was just sound of cars going, zoom, 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 like saves your hair. The female version was a slightly kind of insipid woman in shower talking about the shampoo. Then she goes, shh, it's for women over 40. As if, you know, we should be dead at 39. Thou shalt not speak of the woman who's managed to last till 40. And you're like, you're actually age-shaming the target market. Yeah. And this is a product that helps menopausal women, not yeah. you know, if they have issues with alopecia. And, you know, I just thought, oh my God. Yeah. So the age thing, I think, is hysterical. Yeah. I mean, we only have to watch The Apprentice every time they're given oh. an, an over-50s dating <laughs> challenge. I don't remember that one. It was brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We could talk for hours about Honestly, I could. Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. What do you think of the three main things the senior leadership teams for creative industry should be looking at when trying to create a truly inclusive culture and to tackle social mobility? I think the number one thing is to take it seriously and have it as a company KPI. Mm -hmm. I think we do a lot of chatting. Obviously, we're chatting with purpose today, but the amount of times I've been sat in a room where people have just diversity washed a conversation. Mm -hmm. Let's have a discussion about what we're going to do. How much budget is there? None. And you're like, okay, if you're truly going to shift a culture, mm. somebody senior has to be made responsible for that. Mm -hmm. It has to actually be part of everybody's departmental KPIs and it has to have a chunk of cash. And the reality is all you're doing is investing in better outcomes because you mm -hmm. know you're going to make more money, have more productivity and also reduce retention loss. Yeah. So once it's become enshrined in business KPIs, then the next one I would do would be to lead by example as well. Mm. I mean, talking about obviously there's many, many intersections of inclusion. Just taking the fact that obviously most boards are dominated by males. That's yeah. not in any way being negative. No. So, for example, if those male boards decided to have flexible hours or take proper paternity leave or even work part-time the actual reflection of that in the female that they're kind of polar opposite mm. you would stop being devalued for those behaviors mm -hmm. so I, mm. I think we all know that the amount of times when as a single mum I first kind of had to leave at five people actually did shout part-timer no, yeah. so that's another one. and then it's about yeah long-term commitment and mm. measurement as well I think it's really important to constantly measure where you are yeah yeah I mean I'm amazed that you know, still some places haven't done an audit on even the makeup of their staff. Yeah. How do yeah. you know where where you're lacking or where people are most unengaged or, you know, about to leave if you don't ask them or get an independent... But then people say that, oh, well, we do the annual or biannual or quarterly... What, the one they've written survey. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so I was at a major news group and I fell into, as a single parent of a certain age group... There was I was the only one in my age group on that, so it was really obvious, even though it was supposedly anonymised, what my views were. <laughs> and if you're from a, a group that tends to not win at places, mm. you're not really going to say what you think. I think, for me, it's key to have it be external and for it to be anonymised, if you're serious about it. Yeah. If you're not, then crack on with your internal survey, because you're not going to get any truth. And I think it's it's it's, we must be clear, it's human nature to yeah. to be defensive if you feel like someone's having a go at your leadership or your management yeah. but 
that's how you it, we how have you to have learn? comfortable have an uncomfortable conversations yeah. and we're not all going to be great at everything and it's about being able to kind of take that I mean it does don't you probably I've had feedback as a manager and I'm a bit like oh I didn't mean it like that but yeah or you know you're always developing and learning and I think yeah. that sometimes egos get in the way of actual true development and moving forward so one of the things I've really personally worked on is accepting feedback and one good thing I can say the more you accept the less it affects you yeah and what it becomes is you become really proud of the fact you can take on board because it's such as somebody else's viewpoint mm. and you're completely right how many different things you do can be interpreted very differently and you may have one intent when you do something but that person's taken it as another intent and until you actually have as you say that honest genuine conversation mm. you're going to be at two very different points in your understanding of what's just happened yeah yeah, and that person may not want to back you as much as they did, and that's obviously a negative Sometimes outcome. as well, when you have that open and honest conversation, you realise you, you both want the same thing. Yeah. You just, your ways of going about things are a little bit different, yeah. and different is great. It's just making sure you're working together yeah. cohesively. So. And also it's a respect thing. If you actually yeah. do take feedback on board, otherwise you're not really respecting the other person's experience. And I, you know, yeah, I've had some brilliant pieces of feedback where I've just gone, ouch. <laughs> gone home, eaten some biscuits, woken up the next day and gone, no, it's okay now, I can yeah. do this. <laughs> I am a good person. I am a good person, I can get through this. So when we think about, one of the things I really wanted to kind of pick your brain about mm -hmm. is when we look, some of the organisations that you've mentioned are global. Yeah. yeah. They have, not only do they have offices throughout the UK, Europe, America, it's, yeah. they're global organisations. How do they approach creating an inclusive working environment and looking at social mobility when the conversation or the, the starting points can be so different depending yeah. on where you are in the world. I think that's a really good point. And the moment Brixton itself is very much anchored in the UK market. Yeah. It's not to say we don't have you know very ambitious global plans to mm -hmm. wherever there is a need. And let's face it, there is a need everywhere. Unless you're an amazing Scandinavian state. <laughs> uh, then, yeah, I think... You probably need some enshrining principles that, mm -hmm. that run across the top. Then it's definitely bespoke measuring and KP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's bespoke strategies for each country. Mm -hmm. And then it's when you've got real clashes where what may be culturally acceptable to a particular, to ha in the, your treatment of a particular group of people in one country, but is mm -hmm. it in another? Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me. I'm thinking about, say, the position of women in some countries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so in terms of the things that you're doing with Brixton, you're very London focused at the moment. What's the plans for 2009, 2020? 20. Oh, I know. Well, this is one of my big things is now we've had two really successful years. We won Britain's Best Digital Skills and Inclusion Project. And I've always been passionate about people having opportunities to enter the industries from all over Britain. Mm. We are a very London-centric industry. Mm -hmm. So one of my big challenges for next year is to sort out accommodations so people from outside London can, can come and... Um, yeah, do the course. Yeah. So there's two things. There's, there's actually physically bringing people from outside and making sure we can pay for them to study for free and do the yeah. course for free and then help them be set up in jobs and flat shares in London. Yeah. There's no small mean feat. No. No, it's yeah. ridiculous pricing at the moment. And the other thing is to take the content we have and actually digitise that. So okay. create a more open source school. So the way I look at it is kind of a funnel. You've got our kind of premium product, which is the, the school itself, and then you've got that kind of tier above it where you could take, you know, film all the masterclasses we do, mm -hmm. put the presentations online and maybe do some kind of Skype mentoring type okay. stuff. Okay, yeah. 
that is kind of embryonic at the moment. So is there going to be, I think when we spoke, spoke class as well, we were talking about doing a neurodiverse class, yeah. looking at uh, is it single pet mothers as well. Yeah, so I wanted to, one of the, the, the kind of backbone in the school is to build each individual to win. Mm-hmm. And if you're neurodiverse, then we teach in quite a new t- neurotypical way, which is big, noisy room. You know, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So if you have, if you're, if you excel when you're left to think in a, a quieter environment, we're yeah. not really, well, we're, we're just creating a barrier for you. So we're going to do a separate school at the last quarter of 2020. Okay. Which will be a pilot. We're doing that in partnership with Creative Equals. Oh, for people with either Asperger's or autism diagnosis. Yeah. And we'll, we'll do that in partnership with people who are experts on that subject. Yeah. And look to actually build an environment that helps people thrive. Flourish. Yeah. yeah. And we're sort of in the early stages of getting partners for that. Then there's a whole series of groups of people like carers, the single mums thing, mm-hmm. or actually any single parent. Single parent, yeah. Yeah, was to do with, I really believe that if anybody, de- if you can develop digital skills and freelance in them, that's a way of having an income at home where you can work really irregular hours. That one we are having conversations with a big developer with, but I can't say anymore. Oh, watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the programme's free for all of your students. Mm. I think that I know is really critical to enable them to kind of really commit to developing their digital like talent and mm. getting as much out of it without having that added worry about can I afford to get in every day am I going to be able to have lunch and stuff Mm. so we remove that barrier out of interest how much is needed per student typically (laughs) and what's the difference between when the students come into what their job prospects and salaries Mm. before and after doing the course in terms of the course itself as well as it being free we make sure it's four days a week at 10 to 4 so Mm. you can actually hold down what I call a first tier job, which is mm-hmm. something like it's civil prep. You know, when yeah. you've left at 18, 19, yeah. you've got to fill a job, which is actually what a lot of our young people are doing. Yeah. So you're still able to work around it because we know that most people have children or, mm. you know, lots of responsibilities. There's commitments. Yeah. yeah. So you're transforming people who are kind of in jobs into a career, which is a big thing. Obviously, the salaries in the creative industries can be huge mm-hmm. especially if you get into something like programmatic which is just yeah. ridiculous at the moment you yeah might as well just print money and hand it to somebody who <laughs> can manage to do that so most of our young people start on something like 20 to 25 in their mm-hmm. role obviously that comes with things like pensions and healthcare and progression yeah. and paid holiday yeah paid holiday all the things that one can only dream of yeah and also it's actually a career so i always say one of my best examples is a really great guy called alfie so he was in the the warehouse of footlocker the back room right yeah uh, which was an early a 21 grand a year job which mm-hmm. is not bad for somebody uh, age group but the thing is you're going to be what, what's your prospect yeah where are you going yeah where? you're still going to be in the warehouse at 25 yeah unless you're just in a bigger warehouse aren't yeah. you so we had a big chat where it was a big he felt initially it was a risk for him to give that up and do the course but then I showed him a hockey stick of earnings within our industry um, yeah so he did that and that yeah completely changed his outcome really and that will change you know his family and you know the yeah. whole thing yeah. yeah yeah so in terms of so we've had two cohorts finished now yeah. can you share some examples of what people have been doing one thing that's really impressed me with with um books on finishing school is that you're 
graduation, like people that go into a, a role, yeah, it's pretty high. Like ninety five percent the first year, yeah, ninety nine percent this year. I think we've got out of the thirty, we've got four to place this year. Oh, okay. But we're still within the time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I kind of try and do it all within twelve weeks. Yeah. So this year we've had some brilliant, brilliant wins for them. So we had Hannah who joined RGA. I think I'm allowed to say this because it'll be announced. Digital Digital Agency of the Year year. as a a strategy intern. She was flown out to Amsterdam to present to Nike, the first intern to ever do so because she was so good. Mm. Then we've had people join Cleared. Well, all of our sponsors take somebody in a role. And these, you know, when I talk about really good companies, we are talking about some of the biggest. The big boys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we don't do is we won't place anywhere. Anybody anywhere that's not going to actually be on their side or mm. give them, you know, the training and development they they need. Yeah. So yeah, RGA, Clear Channel, Kinetic. So Ooh. some people that were at Metro. Oh, Mail Metro. Metro. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, Shandor. <laughs> yeah. Frina. That's been brilliant because they've been on a rotation there. So they've actually the Mail Metro decided for the first time to kind of. A, work with us, mm. but B, when the young people joined them, they did, I think, two or three weeks in each department. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's been an incredibly rewarding experience, and they're going to come on board again next year already. Okay. And the young people that have gone there just love it. Yeah. And they finally, like Freena said to me, because there's so many different types of role you can go into. Yeah. Freena, who's joined there, has finally decided to go into Insight, which is really exciting. And I think if, if, if I had, I mean, like you, I fell into media yeah. sales you make it work. I was like, okay, I like display, I like magazines and newspapers. Yeah. If I'd had the opportunity to really have thought, experienced mm. all areas, it's because you kind of, you get into one area and then you're like, oh, there's also this and there's yeah. the research team and there's, you, you don't yeah. necessarily know that. No. Um, so I think it's really enlightening that they have that opportunity to like really test what they like yeah, and then make a decision based on that. Yeah. So. Because it's about retention as well. Yeah. I think we're obviously, I feel incredibly under pressure to make sure I always do the right thing by the by the graduates, but also by the sponsors as yeah. well. Because that's, that's the kind of magic thing that makes us future-proof, is if everybody's happy on every side. But you're completely right. I mean, I fell into ad sales, and I probably, looking back, would have loved to have been an art director or something. Yeah. But yeah. the reality was, A, art directors are particularly, it's particularly hard from somebody from my background to, to achieve that. Yeah. And also, it was kind of... Well, you just never, the veil was never lifted. No. You know, I could sell stuff on the phones where I ended up. Yeah. But, yeah, it never occurred to me that you could actually make, come up with ideas for ads. So what's the most important thing you've learned in your life, Ali? Uh, It's never too late to do something different and just keep, get up and keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I think being comfortable, being constantly uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, things, things aren't easy. No. Um, but one thing I would do is if you have got something that's going to give you purpose over money and you can afford to have less money, do the purpose thing. <laughs> yeah. It's my, my life. I'm doing my dream job now. It doesn't yeah. really work. Yeah. 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 I just pootle around every day. <laughs> and apparently it's a job. You, you're full of energy, though. <laughs> it's, it's infectious. You can't be around you and not feel a bit like, all right, now I'm, I'm up another level. Yes. <laughs> It's a good thing. Yeah. If you could have a billboard of anything on it, what would it be and why? I was thinking about this. Either be kind and quite yeah. shouty, like be yeah. kind. Be kind. Or just do it, which I know Nike may have already <laughs> borrowed. Because one of the big things I did was I just did it. Yeah. Even though 
looking back, if I thought it, I'm not great at really, really putting things through. I'm not, I don't have concept of risk, basically. Yeah. Which I I think. But listen, risk takers, it's a certain talent, isn't it? And it's, it's the resilience and. Yeah. I would say just do it because the thing is, people have great ideas all the time. Yeah. But somebody will always give you a reason why it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I just think, guess out of your own way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I was lucky to have the right background where once I decided this was going to happen, I did have access, mm. which is the big thing. I mm. had a really big network. So mm-hmm. it was just about framing how that. how me and that network are going to interact yeah. in a different way. Okay. Yeah. What book or film would you recommend mm. and why? Right, I was thinking about this again because yeah. it's really tough, but I think one of the biggest things about the school has been the fact that it gives platforms to people that don't normally get a voice at the table, mm-hmm. a voice. So there were two books I really liked. One was The Night Women. I can't remember who the author is, but it's it's pretty, well, it's horrific, actually. It's um, a kind of story of um, slavery and mm-hmm. Caribbean islands. And the other one is The Silence of the Girls, which is a similar kind of plot, but mm-hmm. in ancient Greece. Okay. And it's the fact that you never, you know, when we have history or whatever, we never hear from particular segments. Yeah. Both those are really good. And The Silence of the Girls is from by Pat Barker. I would okay. recommend it. Like one yeah. book of the year or something. Okay. Yeah. How does your daughter describe what you do for a living? <sighs> What she do? I think she thinks I run a school, which is quite <laughs> correct. I also, uh, yeah, she. I'm probably chatting, <laughs> chatting on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and always being, yeah, always being late home. That's what I do <laughs> yeah. for a living. Yeah, running a school, talking a lot, and coming home late. Yeah, but in bed by nine. Bed by nine. Bed by nine. Secret sources <laughs> in bed by nine. And what's your best tip to making the world a better place? Just empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all here. And if we all got on, I just don't understand how people can actually exist in a society where some people are hurting and you just think, that's fine. Mm. It's not, basically. Mm. So I'd go for always trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes or at least ask them what it's like to be them. You know, because obviously empathy is subjective, but actually having conversations with different people from backgrounds you never normally chat to Mm. will probably give you a much better view on what the world really needs. And if people are interested in finding out more about Brixton Finishing School, what should they? Where should they be going? Well, they should go to our website, BrixtonFinishingSchool.org, or we're on Instagram mm-hmm. again, Brixton Finishing School, or Brixton F School on Twitter. Yeah, that's it really. But we're going to do some events next year, which yep. we'll be announcing. So they're welcome to come along to those as well. Perfect. Thank you very much with the young people talking about their experiences in the industry so far. Yeah. Thank Perfect. you. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Ali. As always, oh. it's a pleasure. Oh no, thank you, Dina. <laughs> Take yeah, care. Thanks. Thank you.